You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning and welcome back on the Buckeye Breakdown Podcast after Ohio State yesterday knocked off Tulsa by a final score of 41-20. to 20. Had a chance to sleep on our initial reactions and now time to give you a little bit more uh, deeper analysis of the Buckeyes' second win in their third game of the season. Alongside Tommy Zagorski, former college football coach for over 12 years. I'm Brendan Gulick. Coach, this was... Uh, this was a game that, I'll be honest, I feel like may have left a few more questions than answers after uh, thinking about things last night. Obviously, a couple of, of really impressive high highlights. Uh, Travion Henderson stealing the show in, in many regards in that way. And it was good to see the Buckeyes get back on, uh, on a winning track. But by the same token, uh, there were a number of moments yesterday that I think kind of left everybody scratching their head, wondering exactly how high the ceiling is for this team. Um, and that's not a, a place we're typically at here at this point of the year, month of September. Yeah, Brennan, I, uh, it, it's a tough one to uh, wrap your mind around. It's a victory Sunday. Happy victory Sunday. 25th Sunday in ordinary time. A lot of good things going on in, in real, the real world. But uh, And the Buckeyes won. They're 2-1. and one, uh, But it does leave a lot to be desired. Um, the fans came in yesterday to see a Tulsa team uh, that's 0-2 that has an FCS loss and a lost Oklahoma State. And kind of expected Ohio State to get a little bit more aggressive uh, early and, and that's where kind of I know where I had on my prediction on Friday. Uh, I really expected Tulsa to score a couple times like they did, uh, but I really thought the offense would kind of take off uh, and it did in the run game. Uh, but what was left uh, to be a little bit desired was CJ Stroud's performance at quarterback yesterday. Uh, he looked uncomfortable. Uh, he did not look uh, with that second half rush that we've seen with him where he just kind of surges and makes some big time plays. Uh, those were those didn't happen yesterday, uh, and that leaves a lot to be concerned. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the football, um, just you know, from the defensive line perspective, I don't feel like we played in the backfield a lot yesterday. Um, it was it was something that was uh, a little tough to see. The Buckeyes did a good job of trying to transition to a lot of different stunts and angles and different ways of trying to you know play out of gaps. And but uh, but it's not who Ohio State traditionally is. A lot of times. Uh, in the past, we've had incredible four-man rush groups that you could just let them go eat. And right now, that's not the case. There's not that guy that's, that's got that Wolverine trait that's just going to go back there and, and go do something for you. So right now, it's going to be going back to the drawing board, trying to figure out as this defensive line how they can generate pressure. Because the secondary, you know, yesterday, to give a, to hemorrhage that many passing yards uh, against a mid-major team is tough to swallow. But, you know, I, I, like you and I talked uh, off-air, I, I think our cornerbacks played a, a solid game. Uh, and they tried to take a little bit more off the safeties with a lot of the zone stuff that they did. They gave up yards, but they didn't give up that big play, uh, which is encouraging. And Matt Barnes, credit to him, you know, getting his first play calling responsibility for the Buckeyes. I thought he did a, a called a good game. He tried to get uh, pressure by getting the linebackers involved, but then sometimes it opened up a couple gaps um, in different aspects of the game. So he, there's no perfect defense. There's no perfect way. Uh, it is an offensively driven sport. You know, and, and I think if Ohio State gives up, you know, 17 points yesterday or 20 points yesterday and then comes back and, and scores in the 50s, you know, then you really get excited about where kind of this team's 
you know, going with uh, in that direction. I talked about it on Friday. Cold-blooded execution you wanted to see offensively in the run game. That is what you saw. You saw an offensive line that leaned on people and dominated them after losing the leader Thayer Munt for early in the game. It was good to see Matt Jones pop in. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then, obviously, the historic performance by Travion Henderson uh, was really exciting to see. Uh, Buckeye fans were watching something very, very special in the backfield with that young man. There's a lot of places we could start, but um, maybe the defensive line is the most important place. Um, you know, I, I feel like in reflecting on Ohio State's three games so far this season, we've seen some individual performances that have been pretty good. JT Tuimolo-Au, I think, has looked pretty darn good for being a true freshman. Jack Sawyer doesn't have a sack yet, but he's drawn a couple of holding calls, and he's really been tough to defend. Um Tyleek Williams, I thought, had the biggest play of the game that didn't involve a score yesterday with that huge sack. Uh, lost 17 yards for Tulsa in the fourth quarter when they were you know, starting to, to put together potentially a, a game-tying drive. Um, and yet, to your point, I guess we're just so used to seeing Ohio State's defensive line utterly dominate their opposition. I mean, the Buckeyes just they don't get pushed around a lot historically. And, and I don't know if they're getting pushed around as much as they're just not penetrating. They're not, you know, uh, they're, they're not getting the leverage to, to blow plays up in the backfield repeatedly. Um, Davis Brin, the whole first half yesterday for Tulsa, I felt like his clock wasn't sped up. Now, to Ohio State's credit, the second half, Brin had to get it moving a little bit better. He still threw for 428 yards. Um you know, the defense still gave up 500 yards to Tulsa. So it's a work in progress. But when you look at the defensive line, it, just in general, I'm not talking about necessarily Ohio State's specific defensive line, but philosophically, how difficult is it uh, on your defense as a whole to be effective when maybe at the line of scrimmage, you're not as strong as you're used to being? Across the board. I mean, for the first time that anyone talks about this sport, and I'm biased because I played on both sides of the football, but I realistically, it's important that you have an offensive line and a defensive line. That's where it starts. That's where, you know, you go, when coaches hire their hires and they go make those hires, a lot of times in those interview processes, they're going to ask you, who's coaching your offensive line? Who's coaching your defensive line? And it's really, really important to make sure you have the right guys up front in that elixir. And that's where, you know, as, a, as an offensive line or a defensive line, you have to be the one that sets the tone. If the defensive line is not performing their ability, Nobody else can do it. They're the foundation of your defense. You know, and when you build a home, you can't just build a home by starting to build the attic. You have to build at the foundation, and your foundation has to be your defensive line. Ohio State fans have gotten accustomed to eating at Fleming's and Ruth Chris and whatever uh, elaborate steakhouse you want to eat at. Right now, it's kind of an Applebee's Chili's deal, and, and you know, it's a, they're going to put a lot of other stuff on it to kind of doctor it up. And that's what they're trying to do. They're running a lot of stunts. They're running a lot of angles. They're trying to figure this thing out um, as they're going. But, you know, JTT – is going to be elite. And he is a true freshman. And what I mean by true freshman, you know, Jack Sawyer's been committed to Ohio State, I think, since he was like in seventh grade. And Jack knew he was coming. He didn't even play his senior year of high school at Pickerington North. You know, JTT did not get on campus until July. And people don't understand how important that is in this game now. You know, high school kids are graduating in the fall. They're coming in and they're enrolling in Ohio State in January. That's six months that he doesn't get with legendary Larry Johnson. Until he gets that time with him, this kid's really playing truly 
right behind. I mean, he's really a true freshman, and I, he didn't have a spring football. He didn't have the ability to get the install to do different things. He was still being recruited. He sat out and waited on that, um, and he's obviously a, a tremendous athlete to be able to be picked up on the basketball team as well. But I really think there's something special there. He's got the ability to do that going forward. He's going to be the guy you're going to build off of and those young guys. But but right now they're not there and he's not going to be there because he just doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the experience. Um, you know, it was also good, Brendan. We, we didn't know bit this, but uh, Tariq Smith to get a, a holding penalty. It was good to see him do that. Uh, the one disadvantage, I think, and I think they'll talk about this in the film, he's rushing a lot down Main Street. And what I mean by that is he's going, um, as an old line guy, I always said that whenever a guy rushes, try to rush through you on a pass rush, put him on your Christmas card list because he's making life way easier. Uh, when you attack half the man or whatever, you're going to work on that angle to set your next move up. Uh, right now, he's kind of he's kind of being a block magnet where he's running right down the middle of those guys. Um, and I know they're going to get that corrected. I mean, literally, I, I can't say enough great things about Larry Johnson. He is one of the greatest defensive line coaches in the history of college football. And he's got a young group. He doesn't have those seasoned guys. And Harrison's had the back issue that probably explains a lot of why he had, you know, has not been as explosive as we anticipate him being. Because, uh, you know, he looks like he was sculpted uh, by the Greek gods when he walks into the walks into the locker room. Uh, but he's going to be somebody that hopefully this back issue gets back. Uh, and it, it allows you now, it allows teams to not have to double team on the perimeter. They can just play normal protection uh, across the board. So there'll be chips and nudges, like I said, on the edge to kind of help out against those defensive ends. But, um, you know, I, I think going forward, you're going to expect Ohio State with these young guys to be really, really talented up front and it to correlate to better play on the back end with the linebackers in the secondary. Let's move to C.J. Stroud here, who, you know, I, I think last night we, we got off to a good start in the conversation around his play um, by essentially saying that, look, you know, the, the kid clearly has some talent. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He seems to have a good attitude. You know, I, I can't speak to his level of attention to detail in meetings and preparation, but um, he, he doesn't appear to me to be underprepared when he's out on the field. I think, though, that there are times that he looks like he's hesitating a little bit or maybe not processing the defense fast enough. Um, I think he looks a little bit tentative to tuck it and run in certain situations. I know yesterday there was a play where, I mean, gee, he had at least a 10-yard gain if he'd have kept the ball himself. Instead, as he rolls out to his right, he dumps it down for a gain of five or six. Uh, to, I think it was Garrett Wilson, if I remember correctly. Um, and I, I just wonder how much, even if it's subconscious, the shoulder thing, you know, it's clearly bothering him. And look, he's not rolling out of the pocket thinking, okay, my shoulder hurts. What am I going to do? But when that's in your mind and you're trying to gut through an injury, I, I think there's some limitations there. Let, let's give him due credit. Through three games, he's thrown for almost 1,000 yards. He has more passing yards through three games than any quarterback in Ohio State history. Some of that is Ryan Day's offense and, and the nature of what college football's offense looks like. You're not going to see you know, some of the, the good quarterbacks the past having thrown the ball as, as much as uh, the Buckeyes have these last 10 years now. But C.J. clearly has the ability to do that. Um, where, where it's a bit frustrating for me is just, it just there's something that doesn't feel right. I don't know how to really put my finger on it. And again, I'm not trying to start a quarterback controversy or to say that I don't think he can be the guy. Ryan Day clearly likes him. You can see there are certain instances why it's obvious that he's got this opportunity. 
But I, I guess I just look at this and say in, in a world where you've got two other quarterbacks on the bench in Kyle McCord and Jack Miller, who are by all accounts ready to rock, uh, one in Quinn Ewers, who has all of the hype and all the talent in the world. I don't know if Quinn is ready to compete at this level yet or not. He should be in high school still. Um, but there are there are two and maybe three really, really good options behind CJ. I just feel like CJ won't back down from this, and I admire this about him. You know, he probably understands that if he doesn't play because he's injured, it might be really difficult for him to win his job back. Um, how challenging that is for the coaching staff to figure out where the line is between letting a guy be tough and play through it and progress versus, you know, maybe not getting the most out of your offense. I don't, I don't know where to draw that line, but again, I just feel like there's been times where there's a little clunkiness. And, and before I let you run with this, Z, I mean, I, I also wonder if we're being fair in thinking about how we're measuring him because, you know, when you've got guys that just came before him that are quite literally a few of the best quarterbacks in the history of the program, there's a recency bias that your head can't get away from. You know, you, you see what Justin Fields did. You see what Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett did. You know what Braxton Miller's capability was when he was playing quarterback. I mean, these guys were elite. And it's just hard to see C.J. Stroud in that light right now because it's just not all there. And maybe it could be, but it isn't yet. Absolutely, Brennan. And it comes back to the defensive line like we talked before. We uh, Ohio State fans are accustomed to having five-star dining. Uh, and right now it's a carryout deal. And he's, you know, he's been really, really good uh, in regards to like his mental progression. Uh, yesterday, CJ was the first interception that I saw on film where he made a bad decision. You know, the record, you know, on the, on the up and over, he missed them on the, on the crossing route there. And the record could have flattened it out a little bit more, but he got to get behind that linebacker. Safety was sitting over the top. It wasn't a great decision for him to throw the football. Um, you know, he needs to have the ability uh, to be able to make the decisions that are best for everybody uh, that are on board. And CJ's going to fight through this because why? He's in a room with a lot of young guys as well. He's going to put in all the mental prep work that he can possibly put in to make sure he wins over his quarterback coach and his offensive coordinator and head coach. And when he does that, he doesn't want to be Wally Pip. And I, I, you know, I know that analogy for a lot of people nowadays, they look at who's Wally Pip, the Lou Gehrig story. I mean, if you don't know that younger guys, think of this, Tom Brady and, and, and Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe was the first overall pick in the NFL draft, led a team to the Super Bowl. Um, and then eventually had this Tom Brady guy come in and take over. And I'm not saying that Tom Brady's in the, is one of these backup guys, but it's, CJ understands the pressure of college football. It's win now and play now, uh, whoever that hot hand is. And there are times in practice where you get reps with those twos and threes. And if those guys are the guys that have to have it, those are the guys that they're going to go and call upon on Saturday. And I, I, have to, I have to imagine that CJ is doing everything right in the facility Monday through Friday. Um, he's missing on some high throws. But like we said, he's 19 years old. He's thrown for over 1,000 yards in three weeks. Uh, which is a remarkable stat. It's uh, not nine sixty three, but yeah, very is, yeah. Is he the guy is he the guy going forward? The Buckeyes need, um, you know, and, and Ohio State has missed before. I mean, we had a Heisman Trophy winner uh, sitting in the quarterback room that had to transfer down to Baton Rouge to be able to uh, go actually throw the football. So, you know, and, and part of that was a product of the system he was in, you know, and that that's you know when you look at it, 
you know, Ryan Day has a tremendous track record of developing and finding quarterbacks. He sees something very special in this young man. He's going to continue to ride with them, um, and he's not going to waste the opportunity to have this incredible receiving core. Um, but going forward, it's important that CJ settles down a little bit more, and maybe there is an opportunity. And yesterday, I think Buckeye fans were kind of hoping for the Buckeyes to jump out early and, and kind of pull away in that game to see somebody else under center, to Absolutely. see you know, what's there. And, um, you know, the coaches see plenty of that throughout the week, and they're going to put the right guy um, under center. But uh, right now, CJ seems to be the guy the coaches are going with. I'm not saying that he's not the right guy, uh, but it's important that he has the ability uh, to really build the confidence of everyone around him. And I think Ryan Day's most important thing for him at quarterback is to keep this guy and keep this guy confident let the 19 year old play go with him in the ebb and flow of different things that happen um you know there were times in justin field's career where early he missed throws as well uh, i think we were a little bit more forgiving at that point um the buckeyes are expecting cj stroud to win now he's two and one as a starter he's 19 years old he's thrown for 960 plus yards um he's only thrown a couple interceptions and those couple interceptions he's thrown only one of them has really been a true mental error um he's developing mentally uh, and then the patience for Buckeye fans and they don't have it right now you know and that's what happens when you log your room with a bunch of different freshmen to get in there you know and then what happens is there's not the ability to to move guys around as much um as they probably could and, and I think that's a it's a great point because there's probably this panic meter with the fan base that it's so much different than what it is inside the building frankly where really it only matters um i think as fans we are probably a bit more you know ready and eager and willing to say hey 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 put somebody else in this doesn't look right or this isn't working um where you know inside the building you're right they get a chance to see these guys practicing uh and and their preparations and all that on a on a daily basis um, so you, you have to trust your coaching staff and let's, let's give Ryan day his credit. He's 25 and three and now two plus years as a head coach. And two of those losses are in the college football playoff. It's not like the guy has no idea what he's doing, right? I mean, he's, he is widely considered one of the best quarterback coaches in the country, uh, if not the best. So sometimes you got to just trust him, but I also trust my eyes and I know what I see. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're living in a time that we're going to look back on here with an interesting lens, because last year, all we did throughout the course of the regular season was talk about how frustrating it was to have no non-conference games, to have uh, no, no spring ball and all these reps that these young guys didn't get. And it was like this excuse was building up a little bit, but you had Justin Fields, you had a stupid, talented roster, and they gutted through it and made a special run and, and unfortunately didn't finish it off. So going into this year, spring ball was so important for these guys to start figuring it out. The beginning of the season, before you get into Big Ten play for the meat of the conference, like this is a really important time developmentally for a young team. And for so many positions, we've seen a boatload of freshmen and, and first-year players that are sophomores, um, you know, spending time out on the field. And yet at the quarterback position, you're only developing one guy right now. Um, now that's not to say that next week maybe you don't see another guy, but, you know, I, I think the expectation was, as you pointed out, that fans sort of thought, okay, CJ might play the first half or the first three quarters, and then you'll see Kyle McCord or you'll see Jack Miller or whatever. Um, 
And I just wonder if we're living in a time right now where we look back and say, gee, that, that COVID impacted year was actually more than one year on this program because it it's really hurt the development of this class. Do you it feel has. That no, it has. I mean, this is why it's so important for coaches uh, in the summer. You're stealing time to get skill development. Some of the biggest meetings you have as a coaching staff is, is with your strength staff. It's like, hey, what time can you afford us to get with the guys in the, in, in the spring, in the summer, where you can work on fundamentals with these guys? These are fundamentals that these young players don't have. They have, you know, what a lot of these guys that you recruit, you know, have what mom, dad, and God gave them. And that's a, that's a, that's a talent that they have inherently. You have to, as a coach, to develop these guys from a skill set. And the way to do that is through those reps. And, and one of the things that flashed to me yesterday in the game um, is, is a guy like Cade Stover. And I know Cade Stover is not going to jump off the screen on a lot of other things. Cade Stover did some things fundamentally yesterday that were really good. And that's that's a testament to Kevin Wilson as well, being a tremendous football coach. But, you know, he catches the football. He runs through the one defender. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, he, he beasted that guy. What was great to see on the tight view was he had it, the ball chinned through the entire time of it. It was good fundamental football. He lifted his shoulders up. He had his eyes up. He was running the football. Like it was good fundamental football to see from that standpoint. And even on the on the on the touchdown run down in the uh, down in the red zone with Travion, he sifted. And what that means is he was able to block the defensive end and work up to the safety at the same time and, and give that kind of placement. Those are things that he has because of the fact. He's been there a little bit longer. He's been able to develop that a little bit longer. And really, the way you and I are talking right now, Brendan, during the pandemic, I was still coaching college football. That's how I was coaching guys and developing guys, literally on a screen like this, trying to find an open area in my house to be able to go through these guys with fundamentals, taking clips from the NFL, taking clips from the college game. And that's what Ohio State had to do with these guys. Until they actually get that kinetic learning of being able to do this on a regular basis, uh, that's where it's going to come into play. And and teams that have younger players are the ones that are behind because of this pandemic. There are veteran guys that have been coached, that knew what they were doing. And, you know, so we saw week one, Minnesota's offensive line had the most reps out of any or most game reps out of any offensive line in college football. That is why they were able to run the football so effectively in that game, because they had that integrity of taking those reps. And that's something that's going to go forward for Ohio State. And I, you say, looking back, Brendan, I hope we look back at this and go, man, C.J. Stroud. Man, we were we were really unha- we were really impatient with this kid. It turned out to be something really special. Um, and, and like you said, what your eyes see, but also what we have not seen are what these backups could do in this situation. We haven't seen these guys yet. You know, we've watched them play in high school. We've watched them do different things. But realistically, until you see that guy with that with that beautiful silver helmet on out there on Ohio Stadium, with the surrounded by you know the, the fans, surrounded by a great team, that's when you're going to know who these guys are. And those opportunities are going to present themselves going forward. Um, not saying that guaranteeing that the that CG Stroud is going to get ahead in the game and be able to go sit down, but there are things that happen throughout a season where somebody else is going to have to play quarterback at a different time, and that'll be that guy's opportunity. Whoever that may be, whoever Coach Day feels is the best guy to go in. He's going to go in, and when he has that opportunity, it's going to be really, really important for him to take advantage of it and show what he can do. I uh, I don't want to get too far off topic here um, because I definitely want to talk about the turf, and I know a, a few of our comments are around that. Um, but it, it has me wondering, without knowing the total ins and outs of Clemson's roster, if they're going through something similar that the Buckeyes are, new quarterback, young team, and, and going through the meat grinder right now where they – I mean, for as frustrating as the Buckeyes were at some points yesterday, Clemson looked even worse. Um, you know, they beat Georgia Tech, but 
by no means was it a resounding victory for a team that everybody has just accustomed themselves with thinking that, hey, this is a college football playoff perennial power. Um, let's talk about the turf for a moment. You know, without knowing future plans for what Ohio State is going to do for the turf, um, it's pretty clear if you look up on Twitter, you can find pictures. Uh, people put side-by-sides basically of like, hey, what did this look like in, in 2014 and what's it look like now? Um, and you can just see the the coloring and how, you know, weather-worn the turf has become. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily contributing to injuries, but I, I guess it's possible. Um, but we've certainly seen some guys, you know, lose their footing. Um, gee, it happened at Tulsa yesterday. I don't remember who had the ball, but somebody was racing up the left sideline and then bang. And, and you're just like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough break. Um, you know, may, maybe you can just talk a little bit about the, the challenge of playing on a surface that isn't a, you know, softer, newer surface anymore. Yeah, it's a multi it's a multi million dollar industry that we're talking about at first. A synthetic turf uh, that's been a, been a godsend for a lot of athletic departments. And what's happening is Ohio State's playing lacrosse on there. They're playing you know they're playing different sports there um, in the spring, so it's getting more reps than it traditionally probably would uh, than just the the six or seven Saturdays that we are accustomed to in the fall. And the thing ages, you know. And what happens is these companies will come back in. They'll try to make you know repairs and different things. Um, you know, I, I've played on ones that were phenomenal as a coach and as a player. I've played on some that were just absolutely uh, awful. And you know, you know, last yesterday, Deneric Price was the one uh, that was up the sideline for Tulsa, number eight. Their uh, their running back. He caught a ball and it was he took off and he ended up falling on the turf. And I go, oh, the turf monster got him. And why you say that is that there's times where you just kind of lose your footing in there. It's a combination of not only the turf, it's also the cleats. Um, you know, part of the, the cleat game that you're seeing nowadays, and yesterday both teams were wearing different teams. Ohio State was wearing Nike. Uh, Tulsa is an Adidas school. Both schools are trying to find the fastest and the lightest cleat. And a lot of times what happens in the engineering is they're going back and forth between soccer cleats and football cleats to generate these light cleats for these athletes that are playing out in space. And what you see is those cleats that they're using are developed to go play on the pitch in Europe or whatever other area they're going to be in, which are these really short grass areas uh, from that standpoint. So they're trying to figure out what's the best turf to wear, best cleat to wear, rather, uh, on that turf. I do agree. Ohio State is in an interesting area being in Columbus, Ohio. They do get to celebrate all four seasons of the year. And that really does weather a turf product. It's outside. There's no, they don't put a tarp over it in the offseason. They don't go through that. Um, I, I know when I coached at the University of Tennessee, people complained about our grass. I mean, it was it was a common conversation every single week. Whenever you talk to a reporter, what do you think of the grass at Tennessee? Because guys were slipping and falling. Uh, and part of it was we had to find the right cleat. Our equipment staff did a great job working through and finding the right cleat for us to play on uh, that surface at Neyland Stadium. So I think it's, you know, twofold. One, that turf does need, probably need repaired. Um, I think Ohio State's going to have the money to be able to do that going forward. Um, but right now, this is the turf they're going to play on this season. It's not like they're going to move it or go play somewhere else uh, going forward with that. That being said, it's a disappointing investment by Ohio State that you put that much money into a product that really is only getting used in the fall for a walkthrough probably on a Friday. Um, in addition to that, also six or seven games. It's not like Ohio Ohio high school teams are rolling in there every week to play games um, like it is at Nippert down the street or at Akron or Kent or whatever school you want to use. Uh, they're also allowing their facilities to be open to other schools. Um, so obviously, whatever it is, 
Um, it may even be, you know, under insurance where they're able to get that corrected. But uh, it's disappointing to see young men work so hard in the offseason and work so hard in an investment in the game plan to see them not have the ability to, you know, execute because of, you know, potentially the, the playing service that they're on. I don't want to get too Tulsa focused here, but um, I admit, you know, as I sort of prepared for the game this week, I expected them to give the Buckeyes a good fight. Um, I didn't think Ohio State was going to only win by three touchdowns, which really felt a lot more like two because of a defensive score with, you know, a, a couple minutes to go. Um, Tulsa was kind of hard to get a read on because they lost to an FCS opponent. And so immediately you start thinking, all right, how, how for real could this team be? Um, but I, I thought they played Oklahoma State pretty good. You know, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch, but I, I thought they gave Oklahoma State a good defensive effort. Um, and I, I just sort of had that hunch coming into Ohio State that, you know, they, they like to run the football and they were going to try to do that against an Ohio State defense that was dead set all week on figuring out a way to stop the run after what happened the first couple games. Um, what I did not expect was for Tulsa to throw for 428 yards. I, I I was pretty impressed with Davis Brent. I think he throws a nice ball. Um, but I also think that a good chunk of that 428 yards had a lot to do with the time he had to throw and, in general, the fairly soft zone coverage that Ohio State was playing, just allowing anything in front of them to get caught, make a tackle. And to Ohio State's credit, a much better job tackling in open space yesterday than they did the first two weeks. Um but, you know, they just – they essentially said we're not letting anything go behind us, and, and that's that. So I, I think some of Tulsa's stats were inflated a bit. Um, but I can see why Tulsa last year at 6-3 at and three, won six games in a row. All three of their losses were by a score uh, or less, and why they gave Cincinnati a hell of a game in the American Championship, losing on a, a walk-off last-second field goal. I mean, that, that team was not – they are not a uh, – you know, they're not a Sunbelt team. They're not a Mid-American Conference team. They, they were obviously not a Power 5 team, but they had some pretty good talent. Yeah, they did. I mean, and you look at receiver yesterday, Josh Johnson and Juan Carlos Santana are really good receivers. Uh, and that, that was part of their game plan. And, you know, the disappointing thing was, you know, Bryn comes into the game. He had not thrown a touchdown pass uh, the previous two weeks. And uh, I know that you did not watch a UC Davis game. I watched it live on a Thursday. Uh, as I watched 8,000 different games. As a, uh, sitting at home. Sicko. Yeah, going through the different <laughs> They had four explosive plays that put them into the red zone, called back because of either personal fouls, blocks in the back, stuff away from the play that wasn't you know germane to the result of the play that really put them behind the eight ball. The other thing was is that, you know, Dan Hawkins at UC Davis does a tremendous job. Who was the, the head coach at um, the head coach at Colorado. Fans may remember him from his rant about, they get two weeks here. Then you go talking about college football. Uh, but Dan's back coaching FCS football. And one of the things that he alluded to um, when he got that job was that we're going to control the football um, and, and go do that. So the question is, what is it exactly an FCS team? It's your old one double A. Youngstown State is the only scholarship one double A school or FCS school rather in the state of Ohio. The difference between the two different schools um, is that you have 85 scholarships, 85 full scholarships at the Division One A level. At the FCS level, you are allowed to cut those scholarships up. So you, they, those teams are given 65 full athletic scholarships. So they have less scholarships than the uh, the teams that they're playing. But what you can do is you can cut those up and you can no longer, though, have more than 85 players 
on a scholarship roster there. But uh, but it's Division One football. A lot of it's bounce-back guys, um, and especially those teams that have a little bit more seasoned guys at that level are guys that have been at different places and came back. When I was at Eastern Kentucky University, we were at FCS school. Um, we had a quarterback named Tim Boyle. was the backup quarterback for the Detroit Lions right now. Tim's out with a hand injury. Uh, but he was a guy that was at UConn. He transferred into us uh, and ended up having a great career. Um, he's now in year four in the NFL. Uh, another good comment here, which stuck out to me most about Tulsa is they played mistake-free football and were very fundamentally sound. Again, I just want to clarify in case you, you didn't totally catch it. So when we're when we're discussing FCS football here, that's not Tulsa. Tulsa is not an FCS program. We're talking about their week one opponent, UC Davis. Tulsa plays in the American Athletic Conference with Cincinnati and Memphis and Houston and UCF for you know, a couple more, uh, I guess, probably another year, and then those schools are off to the Big 12. Um, but, again, th there are some FCS teams that uh, will, you know, like Mercer plays Alabama every year in a, you know, a, a, an annual slaughtering. Um, you know, Mercer, that's another FCS school. Uh, but you're right to, to this, uh, this person who leaves this comment here, treasure the Torah. What stuck out to me most, Tulsa plays mistake-free football. And, and, yeah, they – you know, they might not have the manpower, but I really thought they did a good job of just taking what the game gave them. And when you're playing on the road in, you know, a tough environment and, and Ohio Stadium yesterday was um, not exactly rocking. And uh, in fact, I think they booed the Buckeyes a few different times. Um, not the typical home environment, but for Tulsa, that's it's still a tough place to come play on the road. Uh, you know, sometimes it's better to just Take what the game gives you. Don't try to force the issue a little bit. Uh, I was very surprised that Tulsa kicked a field goal on their first drive of the game. When you know what Ohio State's momentum was coming into that game, not much. And you, you basically stuff their offense after a few plays on Ohio State's first drive. And then as, as a team, Tulsa, 16 plays, 81 yards up the field. You melt almost half the first quarter clock off. And – you, you choose to kick a field goal from the five yard line or the three yard line. Um, I, I just, I found that kind of interesting. I, I think I would have expected to see them play a little bit more aggressive there, but um, you know, all things considered, they, they were, uh, they were a decent football team. They were. And, and Brennan, you and I are on opposite ends of the coin on that one. I think you have four opportunities down there. Uh, you had three of them where you didn't get much. Uh, you, you were sitting there and you go, I got to come away with points. I think if you go down the field there and you don't come away with points, your team feels deflated. Those guys get to look up at the scoreboard. They're up 3 nothing on the number ninth ranked team in the country. That's important to be able to do uh, and to come away with that. And really, credit to Phil Montgomery and his staff. They played the short game. They played that field goal. They got three. Ohio State answers with three. They come back. They kick another field goal. So now you're sitting there. And you go, okay, we're playing. We're going back and forth. And it gives you some sense of hope when you walk into that locker room. Because there's when you go into a game and you're – that much of an underdog going into a game you walk into the game and there's the unknown you walk into the stadium in the unknown and that first drive as you go down the field and you take that much time off the clock you come away with a field goal now it engenders hope it engenders confidence and, and you continue to do that going forward i thought that was important they are a good tulsa is not a great football team they're a good football team they're fundamentally sound they're going to execute. I thought they did a good job up front on their offensive line, considering they had some guys banged up, some guys that were out. They were able to go pick up, uh, really, for the most part, the, the lack of pressure that Ohio State had developed early. 
And the zone coverage, there's going to be guys open. That's, that's going to happen. Um, when you design your throw game, that's what you design it for, is to cut up those different things. Um, and really, Ohio State sat in that zone, kept the game you know, kept the game in front of them like we discussed yesterday. And I really kudos to you know them sticking to their game plan, not panicking, not trying to go over the top because they knew they just didn't have the ability to do that. Uh, and really just, you know, take what the take what the Buckeyes gave them and go forward with it, you know, to atonement of 500 yards and you only, you know, get 20 points out of it. You know, that's going to be a question mark that Phil Montgomery and his staff is going to talk about today, probably in their staff meetings. Um, and, and really, as they're going forward, um, you're probably the Ohio State beat a team yesterday that most likely is going to play in a bowl game to be bowl eligible at the Division one level. You got to win six games. Unfortunately, they've lost their first three, which puts them a little bit behind the eight ball. Uh, but they should be able to make some uh, some headway in the American Conference against some other teams and really give themselves the ability uh, to get where they need to be. Let's uh, let's move back to the defensive side of the ball here for our, our final couple minutes of discussion. Um, you know, we talked about the defensive line, and and we've certainly sung the praises uh, frequently of Denzel Burke, who I thought played tremendous again yesterday and got totally jobbed out of an interception. Um, that was the most head scratching overturned call on replay I've seen in a while, and I've seen a few. Um, Cam Brown, who is clearly not a hundred percent played a whale of a game. Ronnie Hickman was very good yesterday. I thought Bryson Shaw actually played a little bit better yesterday than we saw the, the last couple of weeks. So I was encouraged by the improvement there. Um, but man, I, I, I'm a little stuck on the linebackers right now. You know, Cody Simon looks like he should be on the field pretty regularly. Uh, Palaie Neoteote, I'll get that perfectly one time here. Um, <laughs> You know, he he made one really, really meaningful tackle in the first quarter. Um, you know, we talked about this off-air, Coach. Tommy Eichenberg is – he's such a good dude. He's such a good kid. Um, he didn't have a single tackle yesterday. I'm not sure how you have, you know, a, a middle linebacker for Ohio State finish the entire game without a tackle. Now, some of that could be because of all the rotating personnel, but he's been out there a lot. Um, this linebacker group – and obviously, Taraja Mitchell didn't didn't play much yesterday. I think he got in for a couple plays, um, but did not play much yesterday. This group, you know, as a whole, they've got to start taking a step forward here. They've got probably one more week where, you know, we can survive some growing pains in that unit. But man, you get into Big Ten play again, and and there's going to be a lot of pressure on that group to perform at a high level. There is. Teams are going to pound them. They're going to run the football at this group, um, and they don't have that elite defensive line in front of them. And until they have that elite defensive line in front of them, they're not going to be able to go run and play. Um, and I think one of the things that you look at as a Buckeye fan is look at, like, you know, the linebacker core that the Buckeyes had last year. Lost a lot. Lost oh, yeah. a lot. You know, out of that core. And one of the things that I think people look at, well, there was four and four, four and five-star guys behind him. Those guys didn't play. It wasn't they didn't play because there were blowout opportunities. It was just the Buckeye staff knew what they had behind him. They knew what they had in, in, a, in a tough Borland, and then the guys that were in that system, they needed those guys on the field. Without those guys on the field, you know these guys that are playing for Ohio State right now don't have a ton of uh, a ton of worry about that um, as we go through it, Tim. I love that, <laughs> but, it's, uh, but as you're going forward, I think it's important uh, to look at. It's important to look at the ability that the Buckeyes have to have going forward to get some confidence in those guys. And you and I talked about that stat and, you know, um, you know, Tommy Eckenberg had zero tackles at Mike linebacker. You can't play a Mike linebacker position, have zero tackles in a game. If you have zero tackles in the game, hopefully that what that means is that the defensive line is cleaning up everything else. 
you know, unfortunately Hickman leads the team in tackles and as you're going forward, you know, there's going to have to be more production out of that room. Uh, they're still trying to figure it out. They're still trying to find out who the right guys are. Um, and, and credit, like you said, Brendan, I thought Shaw played better at safety yesterday, uh, but also he's a zone safety. Like he's his own safety. They protected him a little bit more from that standpoint. Um, and, and he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if people give him enough credit. I mean, he was like an All-American lacrosse player as well. Um, and he's got a lot of upside. You know, what I, what I love seeing about him um, yesterday was his ability um, when he was going for it, when the, the pick six at the end of the game, he led the way the entire way. Um, and I thought was really you know, something encouraging to see. It was good to see energy out of the defense in that perspective. Um, and, and I think going forward, um, it, it's going to get better. And fans can go, well, it can't get much worse um, with what we've seen the last, you know, really four games now uh, with this Buckeye defense. But, you know, like you said, Brendan, the linebacker group has got to play better, has got to play better, has got to make plays. And, and you know, and yesterday, you know, you know, Matt Barnes is trying to get them going, trying to have the ability, like blitzing these guys and trying to get home on them. And, you know, I can break out the one hurry, um, you know, wasn't as deliberate and as effective as the as they had hoped uh, going forward. So that's something that's going to be really, really important this week. And I know Al Washington is working his, working his tail off to make sure these guys are getting there, uh, but they've got to mature faster and continue to grow um, to make sure that they're doing things the right way. Tim Thomas says, don't worry, we'll be at Akron 31 to 30 next week. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I, I realize that that's probably said somewhat in jest, but I think that is a reasonable temperature of the fan base right now of just general level of frustration. You know, if if you if you're not a football junkie looking at X's and O's, you, you think week one. OK, you open with a Big Ten opponent and tough game on the road. Freshman quarterback, first start, yada, yada, yada. Hey, we won by two touchdowns. OK. Uh, and then a week two loss to a team that you really felt like is a good team, but you should have beat. But at least it's a non, you know a non-power five. I'm sorry, a, a, another power five team. Um, you're still not, you know, as, as a fan, you're not conditioned to losing those games. Certainly under Ryan Day during the regular season, and then yesterday's game probably underwhelmed you a little bit. So I can understand the, uh, you know, the, the frustrations there. Um, with all due credit to the Akron Zips. I, I don't think the Buckeyes are only going to beat Akron next week by one point. I think uh, I think there's probably a different talent gap there, and and uh, I would expect Ohio State next week to 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 look really good offensively. But um, we'll we'll talk Akron later in the week. I, I think this is still time to to make sure we kind of wrap up thoughts on uh, on Tulsa. Um, let's see. But there's a couple of quick uh, comments here before we get rolling. Tommy leaning too much on his high motor. Uh, well, if you're if you're in the wrong lane or a few steps slow every time, that high motor doesn't matter. I think he's talking about uh, Tommy Eichenberg, not you, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> no, either way, too much on your high motor, coach. <laughs> no, and uh, I agree with you. I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, you know, he's got you know probably a little bit more equity in, in the facility because he's he's a guy that uh, you know has been around a little bit longer uh, around those guys. But but I'm with you. Um, you can't rely on motors. You know, if a motor doesn't have gas, a motor doesn't produce. You're not going to use that motor anymore. Um, I could have a Maserati in the driveway here, which I do not. But if he did and it didn't run, yeah, that's great. But, you know, at the end of the day, like it doesn't run. You're not going to use it. So uh, I can't agree with you more. If uh, if you had a Maserati in the driveway and haven't given me uh, a lift yet, we would have had a different uh, different kind of conversation. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this has been, uh, I think, a, a, you know, a, a good little Sunday morning uh, conversation about what we saw yesterday. Um, and, and just a reminder for everybody, we've got literally content like this every single day of the week. Um, 
tomorrow we're going to do uh, some some film review stuff and talk a little bit about uh, our, our grades for players this week. We'll have those grades posted within probably the next 12 to 24 hours at this point. Um, Tuesday, we'll have a recruiting podcast called Building the Buckeyes, all the latest updates on the recruiting trail for Ohio State. Uh, on Wednesdays, we'll visit with somebody that covers Akron to give us a good idea of, of uh, what Akron's team looks like. I realize that the record isn't great, but you know where they've seen some signs of progress. Uh, on Thursday, we'll dive inside the numbers, both for you know the, the upcoming matchup, but also maybe some some wider numbers on the season. Um, and then Friday, we'll do a, a preview and prediction show and get ready for a first Saturday uh, Saturday night home game of the season with the Zips and the Buckeyes coming to the shoe. For Tommy Zagorski, I'm Brendan Gulick. Thanks guys very much for joining us. Remember, if you don't watch us live on YouTube, you can find this after the fact, anywhere you like to find your favorite podcast. We post it in lots of different places. If you're listening afterwards, know that you can join us. We stream all of our podcasts live on YouTube and we'd love to hear from you. I uh, thought we had great fan interaction and, and got to a lot of different, a uh, lot of different comments and questions today. Um, and if you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the channel. So please consider that. Talk to you guys real soon. Buckeyes with a big win, 41 to 20, although it necessarily didn't feel like that yesterday.